0: Even after cancer and liver transplant, Mark Mason is skating circles around everyone.
1: Look at me now. I have my weight back. I'm returned back to work. I'm roller skating. I'm out in the community speaking to the community, the importance of becoming an organ tissue donor so we can give and extend life. And people are amazed.
0: I'm Marianne Shuck, your host for Let's Talk Hope. A podcast devoted to sharing stories and turning tragedies into triumphs. I'm delighted today to have with me Mark Mason, liver recipient, roller skater, and longtime advocate for organ and tissue donation. So, Mark, tell me about your journey to needing a liver transplant.
1: Yeah, so I was diagnosed with primary sclerosing cholangitis, autoimmune hepatitis, which eventually end up leading to me having to need a liver. I had been on a waiting list for nine years. After being on for three years, I developed cancer. And since the cancer was not in the liver, it was in another part of the body, which was the bladder. They had to take me off the waiting list for five years. So being off the waiting list for five years, my liver got all the way down to end-stage liver disease, which means no one can donate me part of a liver. I had to have a whole liver. It was a rough battle.
0: <laughs> I want to hear this correctly. So you were on the liver transplant waiting list for nine years?
1: Yes, yes. I was on for three years, and i have been on for three years uh, down at St. Louis University. I developed cancer, and since the cancer was not in the liver, they told me that they would have to take me off the waiting list for five years. So I had to go five years cancer-free. And after I went five years cancer-free, without a return, I went up to the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and I was able to get on the uh, transplant list there.
0: You don't normally hear about people being on the liver transplant waiting list for nine years uh, off and on. And uh, so you got your transplant at the Mayo Clinic what was that like when you woke up and realized that you were cured
1: it was like winning a lottery because <laughs> <laughs> at the time i was looking at less than three days left to live i mean my liver had got all the way to end stage and i had yellow jaundice and i wasn't for sure if i would live or see it and when i woke up and they told me that i that they had gave me a liver transplant the next day I thought they was joking with me. And I said, I need to get myself prepared for this. When the time come, and I said, Mr. Mason, we got a liver last night. They said, look at your stomach. <laughs> and I looked at my stomach and I had this like Mercedes design with all these staples in my stomach. <laughs> <laughs> so so uh, I was, I was, I was, I was really happy. You know, I didn't know that you can staple people back together. So When I seen all those staples, I said, wow, was I that close to death? And I said, no, this is what we, this is how we do the surgery.
0: (laughs) (laughs) So Mark, I take it that you have never been sick or had any surgeries before.
1: Well, so here's the thing, you know, I, I say this liver transplant is my second chance in life, but technically it's my third chance in life because What caused the problem with my liver is in 1992, my gallbladder quit working. I was living in Carbondale, Illinois. I went to the hospital. They had to remove my gallbladder. The surgery went bad, to make a long story short, and it ended up doing permanent damage to uh, my liver. I was in St. Louis Hospital for about a year, and they told me, That later on in life, I was going to have to have a liver transplant. They couldn't give give me no time expectancy, like 5, 10, 15, 20 years. But they said the damage was permanent that was done to my liver, and I would have to have a liver transplant. And so that's what ended up happening. 20 years later, I ended up having had this liver transplant as a result of the damage that was done to the gallbladder when they took it out.
0: Wow, that is uh, riveting to hear. A Question for you. When you got your liver transplant, did they tell you whether you got a, a normal liver or if you received a, a transplant from someone else who had hepatitis C or was it just a normal liver transplant?
1: It was a high-risk liver. A
0: high-risk liver. Yeah. Sure.
1: Yeah, it was a high-risk high, high risk liver. Can't think of a medical term, but it was a high-risk liver But I was looking at less than three days to live. And
0: what role did your family play in helping, one, helping you through this, but two, you know, recognizing that you only had possibly three days left to live? What was that like for you and your family?
1: Well, for me, it was a lot of stress involved, a lot of worrying. Didn't know if I would receive one in time. And my family, they was praying. My daughter, she's she's reaching out to all Roberts and everybody else, TD Jakes. She had me in around about a hundred prayer lines.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's faith. That is
1: faith. Yeah, that's that's faith. And um, you know, I you know, I I mean, I believe in God. I believe in praying, and I ask God to help me through this. And it's like I heard a voice told me to keep saying, "I'm a, a walking miracle." I can do all things through Christ to strengthen me. And once I started doing that, then it allowed me to take a lot of the stress off of what I was dealing with. I was keeping strong faith, and that's what I was doing regardless of how I felt or regardless of what the picture looked like.
0: Well, I'm so thankful that you were able to come through this and then turn into an advocate for organ and tissue donation when you realized that you were going to be released from the hospital and you know your liver was fine, what sort of thoughts ran through your mind, especially when you think about the donor who donated this liver? Have you had a chance to reach out to your donor family?
1: No, there's a process that you have to go through in order to make the connection and I hadn't got around to doing it. Uh, this was such a long struggle for me and my health. I went through all kind of changes to include the fact that uh, I was concerned about the fact that I had, had uh, got cancer and I wasn't for sure if the cancer would return or not. Uh, so I never got a chance to reach out to the donor family. However, I'm very appreciative because by the family and uh, the donor wanting to give and extend life to others, I got that blessing to get a chance to live another life.
0: (laughs) Absolutely. And you said you struggled. What were your struggles?
1: I was losing a lot of weight. The ammonia, because the liver was not functioning like it should, the ammonia was going up into the brain. It was getting me uh, confused. I just didn't have the strength to uh, do anything in and out of the hospital with so many different kinds of shots and medications and everything. I kind of felt like I was in a war zone on my own.
0: And how did you turn the corner?
1: Faith. (laughs) Faith. I had to, I had to convince myself that I was going to make it through this and that it was not my time for me to leave. And I looked and I was reading other stories where, you know, other Other people that needed a liver transplant got a second chance in life and they was able to speak about how they was able to return back to life doing the things that they like to do. And so I said, "Okay, well, this is this is what I'm going to try. Roller skating is something that I like to do. And when I went up to Mayo Clinic, I didn't think I'd see Springfield again. So I took two things of value with me. I took my Bible, number one, and I took my roller skates, number two. And I had my mind made up that, that if I could get well and I had his transplant, I was going to get back on those roller skates, and that's what I did. The medical staff told my wife, "Why don't you take him outside in the courtyard so he can get some fresh air instead of bringing, breathing all the hospital air?" and I told my wife, "Sneak my roller skates up here. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You have a good wife.
1: <laughs> yes, I'm down there in the courtyard and I'm on the roller skates and they just happen to look out down the window, make sure I was doing okay. And they see me down there on roller skates.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. You are the third person that I've talked to with a good wife that has been credited for helping to sustain them through the transplant, but also helping to, you know, sort of save their lives. So kudos to her.
1: Yes, it, this was a, uh she was she was there by my side the whole time. It was stressful on her, but then you know, it really made her feel bad to see me struggling and didn't know whether or not I would survive. And when I received the liver transplant, she felt like she won a lottery too. We was definitely happy. And uh, since the transplant, I'm gonna I just passed my seven year anniversary And I've been able to return to doing the things I like to do, roller skating. I just went roller skating last night, matter of fact. Able to serve and protect again. So the liver came in handy because I'm still able to keep other people safe. At the same time, I speak to others to include minorities of the importance of becoming an organ donor because I think over 68% of those on the waiting list are minorities. The rumors that minorities feel that, You know, if they sign up to become an organ donor and they get sick, the, you know, the hospitals, let them die due to their race. So I speak to minority organizations so they could see proof. I was a person who needed an organ. I had less than three days left to live. They wouldn't have been able to use my liver, but I got other organs that they can have used. And so they gave me a second chance. I got a second chance in life. So when you get minorities who see proof, then I think that helps to build the trust in which they're signing to become an organ donor because as we know, organ donations from one person can give and extend life to over 15 people.
0: You're so correct. One, in terms of their... African Americans make up 35% of those waiting for an organ, and an even higher percentage of those on the overall waiting list for kidneys. Um, And then you're right, it's due to myths and misconceptions, it's due to um, hereditary issues, it's due to genetic issues, it's due to our lifestyle the way we eat and things of that nature that can lead to chronic illnesses. And so this podcast is so important to have guests such as yourself to be here to, one, to explain your story, but two, to say how this has given you a second chance at life, but then also to promote organ and tissue donation and ask people to really consider and advocate for being an organ and tissue donor. And so to be able to see you through your donor, have a second chance at life, to be able to, as you said, roller skate. I have roller skated once in my life. I fell and that was it. (laughs) I've never roller skated again. I always thought that it would be something fun to do, but I have not (laughs) ventured back into that. I admire people that can roller skate, especially when you back roller skate. That's pretty cool. Yeah, so I'm excited to hear um, one, that you're an advocate, especially as an African-American man who we recognize don't always go to the doctor, don't always heed advice. To be able to be an advocate uh, is much appreciated.
1: So I have a video that's on YouTube that was made at Mayo Clinic. Uh, one question that I know I had when I was meeting Or organ and other who need organs is what type of quality of life am I going to have after this transplant? And not guaranteed everybody can do what I was able to do, but I had spoke to a young man who was on his third year anniversary and he was at Mayo Clinic for a checkup. And he was telling me that before he got sick and needed a liver, he used to do rock climbing and everything like that. And he told me, you know, he returned back to doing that. He was showing me pictures of him rock climbing. So I said, if he can do that, then you know what? I'm going to be able to get back on those roller skates. So I know it probably was not a waste of time for me to bring my skates. You know, some people, they don't like to tell you about their medical history. They don't like to show no pictures of how sick they was, but I do. I show people how sick I was. So they get a chance to see first this, how healthy I was. This how sick I got needing a transplant. This is how much weight I lost. And now look at me now. You know, I have my weight back. I'm returned back to work. I'm roller skating. I'm out in the community speaking to the community, the importance of becoming an organ tissue donor so we can give and extend life. And people are amazed. You know, like I said, sometimes you have to see proof and they see me on those roller skates. And this is after I have had this transplant. It's very inspiring to people.
0: It's very inspiring. And that's why we do the work that we do at the organ procurement organization, Gift of Hope, because we can do the work, but we can't tell the stories. And so we have folks such as yourself to be able to tell that story and to inspire people, as you just mentioned, but more importantly, to give credence to if this can happen For you, Mark, this can happen for other folks who are on the waiting list and who may get tired, who are on the waiting list and may be going through dialysis and may be tired to recognize and understand that organ and tissue donation is a cure. It's a second chance at life. Dialysis may extend life until you get to the transplant, but the transplant uh, allows you to be untethered from machines, right? It allows you to rock climb and to roller skate again and to share second chances with your family. What type of milestones have you celebrated since you've gotten your transplant that had you died those three days, you might not have been able to see.
1: Where well, I have a few new grandkids. <laughs> okay. So, you know, I'm still alive. You know, I'm able to be in uh, in their life. I was able to retire. Uh, I was working for Illinois Secretary of State Department of Police. I was able to retire from the Secretary of State office, and I'm in a new uniform now. I don't know why I keep putting these uniform on. But
2: uh,
0: <laughs> so you got another job.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, I've I worked at uh, 20 years for SIU police in Carbondale, and then I was with Secretary of State Police here in Springfield for 16 years. And I said, you know, I, hey, I got a second chance in life. I'm doing good. And where the average person, especially after having a transplant, if they had the time to retire, they would retire and just take it easy. Me, I'm a community person. I believe in helping others. And even if it means I have serving and protecting to keep each other safe, you know, with this organ that I received, I'm able to keep people safe every day. I put that uniform on and I've had situations where I had been involved in investigating accidents, shootings, stabbings. And I really feel that had I not been there and took the immediate medical needed action, some of the victims wouldn't be here. So. Uh, I'm highly grateful to my organ donor family because this donation, getting a second chance in life, I've been able to help others. And with me being able to help others with this new organ, it means a lot to me.
0: And thank you so much for saying that because one of the biggest myths and misconceptions is around what happens when someone is in an accident. You know, a lot of people I meet and see, oh, well, the police won't save my life if they know I'm an organ donor. And I really try to explain that in that moment, they are trying to save your life. They're not rumbling through your purse or your wallet to look at your ID to see if you're an organ donor. Can you explain a little bit about what happens when an accident occurs? What What do you all do that is not related to seeking someone to be an organ donor?
1: So we're dealing with the immediate uh, emergencies for life-saving medical attention that's needing. we speaking with uh the dispatch, we you know requesting the ambulance, uh, letting them know if the person is conscious or alert. There's certain depending on the condition that will require us to use several type of uh, medical device or attention defibrillator. Depends on the condition that the person is. So it's like we go from being a police officer to immediately a paramedic because our goal is to do what we can to save this person and to a professional uh, medical uh, arrive on a scene to take over.
0: Thank you so much, because that has truly been the biggest myth and misconception that we have. And I think it's very important that people recognize that you all do a job of serving and protecting and making sure that you triage people to the point that they can get to the hospital and they can receive life-saving care from our medical professionals. And so I understand that you are a really strong advocate for organ and tissue donation. Can you tell me a little bit about the things that you do to make sure that people are well educated and that you dispel myths and misconceptions in our community?
1: What we do in the community, we would set up a sector state information table like at the park or if there's an event going on where we Is speaking to uh, the community about the importance of the organ donor tissue program. Uh, We have literature that we give out. I also tell my story. Not only are we educating the community, but I'm speaking from experience and I'm able to uh, speak to the community about how I was in need of an organ. And thank goodness to an organ donor family, I received a second chance in in life.
0: I want to thank you today for really being here to help share your story maybe you should be giving roller skating lessons
1: it's amazing that you said that because i was just doing it yesterday because i'm a i'm a really good skater born and raised in chicago i have these pacifier lights on my skates that light up and uh people tell me that, you know they, they like the lights and so even if i wasn't good in skating those lights will make me look like i'm an expert
2: <laughs> that sounds good. So
1: i was, I was well, showing people yesterday teaching them different moves and stuff like that and for the people at the skating rink uh who know that i received a second chance in life you know that's what they were saying yesterday they said that is one lucky person because that man received a liver transplant and i'll be i'll be 66 in november not too many okay. people in their 60s is able to be on skates And if you see me on (laughs) skates, I skate like I'm 21 years old. I'm not out there on no cane. No, I'm doing spin arounds and everything. (laughs) That's
0: why I said I admire people that can do that.
1: Yeah, I'm doing a a crazy leg and everything.
0: (laughs) Well, Mark, that is so amazing. I'm so happy. That you received your transplant and that you are a strong advocate for organ and tissue donation and it has been a pleasure to have you here today i want to say thank you so much thanks for listening to let's talk hope we encourage you to start the conversation about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones today and make your wishes known you can register to become a donor on giftofhope.org
2: Tina Montgomery Supervisor Community Outreach. In my role, I'm responsible for raising awareness and educating the community about organ, eye, and tissue donation. Daily, I'm asked a lot of questions about the donation process and how does it work. So we're gonna spin the wheel and answer some questions from the audience. So let's give the wheel a big spin and it's going round and round and round and it's stopped on number 46. If I am in an accident and the hospital knows I'm a donor, the doctors won't try to save my life. Being an organ donor is never a factor in a person's health care. In most cases, emergency medical personnel has no idea if patients are registered to be organ donors. Medical staff always takes every possible step to save lives. It is not until all life-saving measures have been exhausted and a physician determines that death is imminent or has declared the person legally dead. Once that determination has been declared, transplant surgeons, other healthcare professionals involved in the organ and tissue donation and transplantation process becomes involved. It is then that the patient is assessed to determine their donation status. So please, if you're ever in an accident, never be fearful about going to the emergency room for care. I want to thank you again for that question. Keep them coming. We enjoy reading them. And thank you for listening to Let's Talk Hope. We encourage you to start the conversation today about organ and tissue donation with your loved ones and make your wishes known. You can learn more about donation and register to be a donor at giftofhope.org. If you like what you've heard today,
0: we hope that you'll listen again wherever you subscribe to podcasts. Let's Talk Hope was produced by Rivet. And if you'd like to hear more great podcasts, please
2: visit rivet360.com.